Mr. Rainwater. Hey, Joe. Today we're back on a topic that I know we both know and love. <laughs> Criticism. <laughs> um, specifically, uh, I guess uh, thick yeah, skin is a- not the... Not the way to, to define it. I think it's more about... Um, it is re- a form of criticism. Yeah, it is oh, a absolutely. Form of feedback, for sure. Uh, rejection, right? Yeah. Like, that's right. that's kind of the way to, to kind of narrow it down. Yeah. So, right off the top of the bat, I want to ask if you remember the first time you were rejected and or how you felt. Uh, gosh, I mean... The first thing that I thought of, I, that came to mind when you said that was uh, a manga contest I had entered. It's not really, re- it's just straight up losing. It's not rejection necessarily, <laughs> but That's I guess fair. it's the same thing. Um, and with that, I think I had, re- I can't quite remember, but I think I had received a letter that I did not place in any way. You know, like I didn't mm-hmm. get a placement, I didn't get any yeah. kind of honorable mentions or whatever. This was in high school. So like, okay. at that time, it still meant a lot to me because I think I had the mindset of like, oh, you know, maybe I can enter into this contest and something will happen and it'll spark a career or whatever, you know, and yeah. it obviously didn't go that way because I was not ready. I was not ready to draw comics at all at that time. I had no clue what I was doing, you know. Uh mm-hmm. And that was the first step to understanding that I had no clue. It took many, many more steps to get to that point. And um, I think that that's what made it useful, you know, in that moment, because it would require me. It would require me ultimately sort of coming to confrontation with multiple people saying, like, yeah, you're not ready, you know. Uh, I didn't really have that many rejections after that in in that regards. Um, I have had I have had rejections in the sense of like not hearing back from people that I've sent you know stuff to. But You're ghosted. Yeah, or just like straight up whatever. Maybe my maybe my uh, application or whatever was just thrown into the pile. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. There is a I, I can't remember where I had heard this first, but like there's this idea that like being told no is being given a direction. So like if somebody tells you no, it's like, OK, well, let's see what's next. You know, let's see what's around the corner, because this wasn't it. This wasn't the road to take. So what about for you, Joe? Well, I want to say I, I I don't know if it's necessarily the first time. But it was definitely when I submitted digits to a bunch of film festivals. And when I say a bunch, I mean three. And they were Sundance, Slamdance, and Khan. <laughs> Which if any of you have seen digits, you know damn well those fucking... It was not... Well, it had a shot at Slam Jan- Slamdance, I should say. Um, I don't know whether or not it was because I sent a work print. And they said they they accepted work prints, like incompleted things like the entire movie was there but you know there wasn't visual effects or color grading or sound effects or music or anything like that music i think might have been the deal breaker as to why because music does really does make or break a movie um after at some point um and it was still a rough edit but um i just remember the whole world was like crashing down on me because i thought at that point in time i thought there was only three film festivals like those were the only ones i'd heard of 
And, you know, like I felt like, oh, I didn't even get like a nomination or, you know, nobody like reached out to me and said, hey, it was good, but or anything like that. It was just no. And that was kind of defeatist for a little bit while for a little while. It was defeating, I guess you'd say. Uh, I was definitely one of those people who internalized it a lot more than I externalized it. I didn't show it a lot. I didn't lash out at any of yeah. the festivals or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you kind of get picked back up when the release comes out and you get a standing ovation, right? Like it's a, it's a different story. So when it came back, this is a little bit more on point. This is a little fresher in my memory when I did Haunted. I think I've talked about this before. I wrote the first draft. I wrote 45 pages in the first night. I just sat down and knocked out 45 pages. No outline, no nothing. I had an idea. I had a, you know, a general idea of how the story was going to be structured and boom, just sat down and went. And then I think the next 45-ish pages, the second half of the script took me another two or three weeks. And that was at a point in time when I did not reread what I had written. I just... Mm said, okay, it's done. It's a masterpiece. Send it out to the internet. And <laughs> it goes, and I sent it to a couple of dozen film festivals, like screenplay contests. Didn't hear back from a one of them. Not a one. Got rejected from every single one. Yeah. And that was the time when I externalized it, where it was, fuck you. What do you know? Da, 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 da. And a couple, I don't know if it was days or weeks. It was probably weeks, but it wasn't, it wasn't a long time. It was a short while. Then I sat down and I opened it and then I started rereading it. And I was like, oh yeah, this sucks. What the <laughs> fuck was I talking about here? Like, oh, I repeated this six times. Like I must've just been in a, a funk where I was trying to get an idea across and I wasn't thinking straight. And that's when I really started realizing that not only was rewriting writing, yeah, but that if the audience isn't responding to what I'm communicating through the art, it's not that the art is necessarily bad and it's not that the audience is wrong. It's that I have to reapproach my approach as to how I'm communicating with them. You know what I mean? I don't have to necessarily yeah. change ideas or characters or themes or whatever, but the execution is really where I'm falling short because I really feel like almost any story you can tell can be relatable if you execute correctly. Nine was, times out of 10, it is an issue of execution too for because i think i think it's easy on a certain level to come up with a good idea you know mm. like everybody has really good ideas sure. great premises for stories but the actual like getting across their initial idea and why they think it's such a good idea that is always that's always the tricky part right absolutely like that's the part that really does require you to go back at it again and again and again and again um i for myself, I, I look at it as you just gotta you gotta be willing to make those mistakes, right? And go through that process and to sort of learn to be your own your own rejector on in a certain mm. sense, you know? <laughs> like I have Absolutely. a ton of ideas that I reject later on because like ah, that's not gonna work, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I've done that too. You know, you gotta, it, I'm not a big fan of censorship, but I'm a big fan of self-censorship. So that yeah. kind of applies where it's like, you know, sometimes I think, ah, maybe I shouldn't go there. Not on this one. This is, you know, a plucky comedy. I shouldn't get that deep or whatever like that. Um, but in terms of like rejection, 
It's 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 there's also another side to that coin. So like I did talk about, you know, that humbling experience where I had to look at my own script and go, yeah, this is trash. They were right. On the other hand, (laughs) sometimes you can perform on all cylinders and really hit the mark. And your audience is a fucking idiot and they didn't read it. They half rat, you know what I mean? They were yeah, drunk when they read it and they gave feedback. Yeah. They just had a, they broke up with their spouse, you know, like they were yeah. in the wrong mindset. There's a million different contributors because I had one of them that I submitted to gave me feedback. And so, you know, I know you're familiar with it, but for the sake of our, our listeners for story structure, you know, it doesn't matter what story structure you use. Like the first 10 pages is set up and then there's a call to action, right? The hero's call to action, a catalyst. There's a million different names. They all mean the exact same fucking thing. And around the 10 page mark, 10 to 12, 10% into your story, a call to action occurs in which your hero is reluctantly or, you know, willingly goes for into the story, right? Uh, the first 10% before that is like a snapshot of who they are, where they're at, etc. It's almost immovable that the call to action has to happen that first 10 pages in. And it's got to be, you know, a call to action is pretty cut and dry. A phone call, someone yeah. shows up, you know, um, an email, a uh a letter, which in the case of haunted was the case that I'm getting to. I had a reader send me back feedback saying that the inciting incident, another fa- fancy word for saying the catalyst or call to action, uh, happened too late in the story. And I was curious at this comment because I was like, that's very interesting. What are they talking about? And I shot an email back. I was like, can you just clarify what you meant about that? And they, was, and they go, well, she doesn't get until to the, the haunt the the scary Halloween attraction to like 20, 25 pages in. And that doesn't feel like, like it should be happening sooner. Now that's not a call to action. That is the arrival into act two. Literally the character shows up in a new world, yeah. the new haunt, the nightmare attraction, whatever the call to action. And I kid you not in haunted is a goddamn motherfucking invitation letter shoved in the mailbox. I do not know how a call to action cannot be seen from a letter in a mailbox that literally invites her to that haunt. That is literally clear as day. Like if you know anything about storytelling and story structure, you can pinpoint that down. And that happens on, I think it was page 10 or 11 very clearly. And it's like, okay, this person clearly does not understand what they're talking about. And so uh, I think oftentimes when people are like just starting to get into uh, like writing and whatnot, like they think very literally, you know, in in the sense of, okay, well the call to action literally needs to have the main character there being presented with the situation. Yeah. And so maybe that's just like on their part, like not, fully understanding the nuance and subtlety, right? That you can have in that situation. To me, a letter in the mailbox isn't subtle in the slightest bit, but that's something that I struggle with a lot when I'm writing is, are people going to get this or is it too subtle? Like that's a, that's a yeah. question that I always, cause I'm always trying to subtly embed things because you don't want to beat people over the heads with it. Cause but then it's just what's, annoying. What's subtle in the script isn't, might not be subtle at all. 
right? When that's it's true. filmed. And that's that's, that's the other part of it, right? Because it's like what you imagine in your mind is different from what you see on the screen. And it's also different ways of engaging with a language, basically. So like, mm. yeah, I mean, it is, it can be really frustrating, like dealing with that, especially in the beginning stages, right? Because it's different, like, it's different if it's on it's a, on the screen, if it's already been manifested, you've made it, right? Because mm-hmm. then you can say with certainty and with a certain amount of objectivity, like, oh, okay, this person is not seeing what I'm doing here. And it's either because it's a problem on their part, it's a problem on my part. But when you're when you're in that vague portion, when you're just, I mean, a script is just really, at the end of the day, notes you're putting down on what you're going to film sure yeah exactly and so you know if you're the screenwriter and the director you can be pretty loose with the notes that you keep oftentimes you just need a way to have a checklist basically for the record though i never when i first wrote this i never intended on directing it as a matter of fact um i'm not sure if you're aware of this this is actually going to be an interesting discussion or revelation one way or the other I was doing a talk show on YouTube called The Cinephile Show. Okay. For, uh, so that's a no on your part. Uh, no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, it's because it's, it's, I made all the videos unlisted, but it was like kind of like The Daily Show, but for movies uh-huh. and TV and stuff like that. And I was doing it for my, my day job. And what I decided was I was wanting to shake up the format a bit and stop um, just being another voice on the internet critiquing movies like I didn't want to just do that I wanted to do something else so I said you know what I'm going to walk I'm every episode I'm going to talk you I'm going to demonstrate one aspect of filmmaking and we're going to go through the process of making a movie and the idea was oh I had this idea about a horror movie I'll just do that as the 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 test project for the show and what ended up happening was I fell in love with the script, as all fucking writers do. Um, and it, it went on from there. But when I wrote it and when I first submitted it to like screenplays and stuff, I was just of the mind of I'm a screenwriter, period. I'm not the director. I'm not a producer. I'm not doing anything. If anything, I'm going to sell this bad boy, make money, and that would just be the end of it. Because yeah. at the time I was writing a Christmas movie that I wanted to do. I was thinking about doing Indom. Like there was a whole bunch of things. So that attachment wasn't necessarily there for it when I wrote the script. The script was written as I have to write this as someone's going to read it and see what I want them to see. So they'll do what I want them to do. But I don't have to fucking do it like that. You know what I mean? Like that was the yeah. intention of the yeah. writer. Yeah. So I guess that's a long way around to say. Yes, it's very important for you as an artist to be humble, admit when you were wrong, re-examine, re, you know, rework things. But also, there's a, a level of confidence that you have to have, not cockiness. There's a very distinctive yeah. line between it. You can't yeah. let your ego get involved. But if you can look at it and say, all right, that person is an idiot or they just didn't get it. Yeah. That's why, in my opinion, and this is very important to people when we're talking about rejection, one person's opinion is not the end of the world. And that's very, very important to hear because you could give this to your best friend, your spouse, your parent, your whoever. They could hate it and think it sucks or not get it. I have to remind myself frequently that my wife and my friends are not filmmakers. They do not know what they're reading. They're just yeah. kind of figuring out what a script is as they do it. 
Right. So when I get feedback, I always try to get like, I ask specific things. I'm like, did you understand this? What did you think that this meant? Like I would ask questions like that as opposed to, did you like it? Was it good? Cause those are, you know what I mean? Like those aren't tangible things that you can, you know, really kind of use to your benefit as a, as a storyteller. So for me, it was more important to say, what did this mean to you? Do you think this character is likable? Yes and no questions like that make me understand, okay, this person liked that character, that person did not. I know these two people pretty well. I knew this person was going to like them. I really thought that person was going to like them, but I know why that person doesn't like them. So let me change two things and then let me let them read it again if they're willing and see if it changes anything. And, you know, you got to play with it like that. But that idea that sometimes people just show things to one person or three giant film festivals and then they get rejected and they give up is that's it. Yeah. That used to be, that used to be me. And I feel like that is a lot of artists. Oh yeah. And I, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is I think there is a balance, right? More often than not, I think that scale needs to be tipped towards self examination, re, you know, hum, humility, and yeah. looking, looking at your work and seeing how you can fix it. But I don't think it's right to completely leave out the fact that your audience might be an idiot or just not not correctly interpreting the material. Oh, right? I mean, frequently, like, as I'm getting to meet new people uh, in Baton Rouge, like, frequently, I'm because they ask what I do, and I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I make Trailer Park Warlock, I make it on this app, I explain the whole thing. Like it's it's I've done it so many times now where I'm feel like I, I have a script in my head that I basically play out. Nice. And it's routinely been just a sort of low, like a low form of rejection where they're just like, okay, cool. And I'm like, they're not gonna they're not gonna check it out. They don't like understand what you're saying and right? you're just another you're just another comic book person. Yeah, or the or the other thing is they're just like, Well, comic books aren't my thing. I just don't get them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which at that point, there's no there's no road you're gonna be on where you where you try where you persuade them, right? Because there are certain media where people just like I don't get I don't get you know there are people who just don't get video games or they don't get certain genres of music or like you know and like I can get not liking certain artists, but like when it comes to music particularly, like not liking certain genres, I'm like, well, have you? you know there just may not be a certain artist in that genre like i used to hate country music for forever and then i started getting into like honky-tonk artists like older honky-tonk artists like willie nelson or waylon jennings and like i was like oh okay they're dudes for me within this field you know and it actually expands further than i realize as i start to like observe other artists that are in there Mm. and even modern like country type artists who exist and I just have to be willing to explore and I can find stuff that's there that I didn't think. Cause it's not all like fucking, um, I can't, you know, it's, it's not all Toby. My Keith. dog got yeah. sick. My pickup truck with sticks and exactly. I got a six pack in the corner. Yeah. Like it's not all that. That's what's most popular, but that doesn't mean that that's the entire genre. That's just the part of the genre that everybody is exposed to. Mm. But there are, I mean, and apply this not just to country, to rap, to whatever, like, there are hundreds of artists out there who 
they grew up maybe on that genre, right? And they have particular tastes that maybe mainstream doesn't get or mm. doesn't accept or whatever, but they're out there making their work and they expect to find somebody. It may not be yeah. a lot of people, but they expect to find somebody. And, and so like, I, I look at that and I think of that as kind of a disservice. Cause it's like for me and I make comic books, I make comic books with the expectation that they're going to be people who make the assumption that like, Oh, it's like superhero stuff or whatever. And it's like, not all comic books are superheroes. And in fact, it's becoming more and more the case where most comic books are not superhero genre. Like, they left your medium and came into mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is, is like, in a lot of ways, the mainstream of comics left superheroes like a decade ago. And if you really looked like numerically where most of the audience is, most of the audience is either like action adventure stuff, which you could say is superhero light. But then there's this whole other huge uh, basket of audience who are like into romance comics. The amount of romance comics that exists now blows my mind. Hmm. It was a market that didn't exist like a couple, like maybe even less than a decade ago. And now it's just like everywhere. It's just not in the print shops, right? It's not in the comic book shops but online it's everywhere because there are readers who want that stuff mm. so i say all that to say like there are a lot of people who would think that they're not into comic books but they just haven't found like they haven't found the the publishing venue and they haven't found like the title that's for them so and, do you see do you see that kind of rejection where it's like a dismissal um as either an opportunity or a challenge for you to educate people as to, you know, the you medium. know, I should, I should take on it more in that way. I definitely make a point of, um, like saying that to people when I talk about webtoon, because I mean, honestly, like with webtoon, I'm actually kind of the outlier in regards to the genre. Like most of the genre on webtoon is like more towards romance or personal drama, Anime. that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've, I've combed through there before just to kind of get an idea of like, I was like, well, Rainwater is really successful on here. And, you know, his art's great and the story's great and he's got a lot of followings. And let me see what what he's up against. Anime. Like, it's just like it was it was piles of anime. And it's, you know, and I've talked about this before. It's part of, I think, the... Resistance isn't the right word because I now have 100,000 subscribers. But like... It's part of why it's harder for me to numerically succeed on that platform versus those other titles, mm. because it is just, it's very different. And so it's refreshing to people who are looking for it, but there are a lot of people who are looking for the same thing, you know, like there are a lot in the same way that there are a lot of people who love Toby Keith. And so they're looking for more Toby Keith. They're not mm. looking for, you know, uh, they're not looking for the other people that are out there. So Anyway, like all that's to say, like going back to your initial question, like, yeah, I do make a point of saying like, yeah, you know, on this platform, there's, you can find a hundred, like hundreds of different kinds of stories. If you're looking for romance, you're looking for whatever. Cause I'm just trying to introduce people to the platform when I talk about it. Okay. Cause I'm going under the assumption they may not be what I'm in, be into what I'm, I'm, I'm making. Uh, there's an additional, 
there's an additional aspect of it that I've come to recognize that a lot of people also don't like super cartoony artwork. Hmm. Um, there are people who are really into it, but it's like a really, I think it's kind of an acquired taste where it's like, you have to be the kind of person who's into, you grew up on like Cartoon Network shows at a certain particular time where you're like, oh yeah, I loved regular show and Adventure Time. I loved Steven Universe. I loved... Uh, Midnight Gospel or like even like Family Guy or stuff like that. But if you weren't into any of that stuff and you're somebody who's like, I only, I explicitly like live action and I think that drawing comics is like a compromise to live action. So I want to look for people who are going to draw realistically. Okay. Right? That's a particular kind of mindset and a particular kind of audience that you can find plenty of artists who cater in that way. I, I'm not one of them. So I, I recognize like a lot of the times I, my artwork turns people off because it's not, it, it isn't, it doesn't fit into that um, realistic drawing mindset. Now Alex Ross that they're looking for. Yeah. Or even like Jim Lee or whatever, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, um, and also I think on another level, cause you were talking about like the anime aesthetic, um, the anime aesthetic is sort of a popular aesthetic right now. Like it's a trendy aesthetic, and I like I grew up on a lot of anime stuff. Although I grew up on stuff that was also like kind of outside of it too, of what the current trends. Like I love Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z is cartoony as shit. Like it's like unrealistic proportions. Like the eyes make zero sense. The way Akira Toriyama draws eyes makes zero sense in reality. <laughs> But it's his style, and I love it. And like, I love, I loved it growing up. It was one of the first things I like wanted to learn to draw in middle school, because I just like was like, how do you draw eyes like that? That's so interesting and weird and different. And you know, and then there are people who are more into just like the more realistic version of anime eye, right? Um, so anyway. Um, like I said, it's trendy, right? And the reason it's trendy is because, for whatever reason, more people find it appealing versus other alternatives. Yeah, I guess I'm in the minority there, because I am too. Because like I, I look at it and I, and to me, I think like I'm kind of tired of seeing the same thing. I, I'm fine with seeing those styles. I'm what I'm not fine with is seeing those styles being so ubiquitous where it's like, that's the only thing you see. Yes. Which has been, that's been my complaint about anime since 2007 when we were in college. You know what I mean? When uh, I remember not, you and Joker were like trying to get me into like Cowboy Bebop and Cowboy uh, like, Bebop's pretty different though. See, I but to argue. me, the way I'm looking at it, like yeah. maybe because I'm not an artist that works in that medium a lot mm. to me it does cowboy mm. bebop looks exactly the same as dragon ball z and pokemon and digimon to me like that's like no, to me you. that's all the same like spirited away same fucking thing and part of me knows they're not but they're so they're similar enough that it all looks the same to me maybe it's a racist thing or it's like all asian art looks the same well, no, because what i was gonna say is like if you open i think that there are i think that there are people who are not used to american comics who would open up american comics and think the same thing 
Like, they wouldn't recognize it as, like, a Jim Lee style or whatever, but they would open up and they're like, this all looks like the same shit. Like, did they get the same exact artist to do all of these books? Because you have house styles a lot of the time, mm. you know, uh, with Marvel and DC type, or even Image, even, like, Image, Image Comics and Dark Horse, well, not so much Dark Horse, but Image Comics tries to pride itself on being, like, you know, we have all these independent artists who are expressing themselves and stuff. They still have house styles in a lot of ways. Are they curate the people that they're bringing in to have to have a have a style that's going to appeal to who they think is their returning audience? And that's usually why that happens, right? Yeah. Because they want to they want to retain their audience as much as possible, so they're going to do the things that they know will better ensure their audience returning. And I find it fucking annoying because I want to see, I want to see unique expression, individual expression. I don't want to see somebody feel coerced basically into like adopting a style that they don't like or don't want to draw. Like I don't want to fucking draw that particular anime style. It's just not interesting to me. I don't, I, I'm fine with it from a visual standpoint, taking it in, but I just don't, it doesn't appeal to me as a way to draw basically. See, I'm that way when it comes to things like, um, color grading, when it comes to filmmaking, because the orange and teal thing is like a big thing for everybody. Everybody wants that orange and teal. And to me, all I can think of when I think of orange and teal is a fucking Michael Bay Transformers movie. Sure. And it's like, <laughs> no, I'm making a lighthearted plucky comedy. Like I want to like have yeah. soft, soft whites and this and that. And they're like, no orange and teal. And it's gotta be really high contrast. And it's really, you know, and it's like, no, that's not what we're trying to do here. That, that makes an effect. And it's like, yeah, money. No, it's not money. It's the fucking, the mood of the piece. And I don't know why I like, I think I've I mentioned this before, but like the the TV show Ozark, I don't know if you've watched any of it on. You've Netflix. talked about it though, how the color grading is like not great. The story and the acting absolutely fantastic. The color grading is ugly as shit, and I don't know how someone can sit there and watch that so long. That's the only reason why I gave up on it was because the color was so ugly to look at. You look at the Matrix movies right now, mm-hmm. right? Ugly as hell. That green and black. Right. It's very uh. in 1998, 99, whenever it came out, that was fresh. That was it fresh. Was... I would also argue that it's thematically like appropriate. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. I think that I think the fact that it looks gross actually works towards the effect that the story is trying to give. Yes. But the the, the point I'm making is that I have seen that look so many times since mm. that it, it's turned me off sure. to that look altogether. Sure, sure visually i'm looking for some kind of other thing so like that's when i start rejecting things <laughs> you know what I mean? we're talking like, about rejection I kind of flatly rejected ever subscribing to netflix because i feel like a lot of net a lot of the titles on netflix the color grading is awful in general like yes, i don't know it's very much the same yeah. i don't know what's going on where they like because as far as I'm aware, all the studios sort of act independently of each other. I don't know if it's just like, once again, a trendy thing where it's like they saw a particular title take off. So they're like, well, we just have to do whatever they're doing. I think it's part that. And I think it's also branding. 
where if you're watching something and you don't know, like if you're at a friend's house and they throw something on you that you like instinctively know this is a Netflix show. Cause like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how I know. Like that's how people would, would quantify it. Like, I don't know how I know, but that's a Netflix show. Me. I can tell you it's the fucking color grading. That's, it, it's literally that sent like, they might just have a, a stock color grade and they say, this is what we're using. Cause before we went on the air right now, I would, that's literally what I was doing. I was playing around in my editing software and finding a color grade for uh, some of my drone shots and not going to lie. If I find one that I like, I probably will reuse it when I'm doing sure. stuff because I am trying to brand it. But at the same time, I, I do have the forethought where it's like, yes, I want to color grade this. So it looks like something that's a Jow film. But on the flip side, I also have that mentality where it's like, yeah, that's not working for this. Yeah. And that's got to come first. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the logo comes at the end of the, or the beginning and the end of the movie. People will know it's a Jow film. I don't need to worry about the yeah. color grading subconsciously embedding it into them. Right. So I reject that kind of stuff. Um, on the topic of rejection, I'm very curious because as you mentioned, insert sound effect of cheers and a quirk popping and stuff. You broke a hundred thousand subscribers on your webtoon. I'm curious to know from you, because you talked about how you pitch it to people and you can just tell that they're not interested. They reject the idea or whatever. Do you ever slide in? Oh, I have a hundred (laughs) thousand things. And then, and then all of a sudden the rejection goes away and they re-enter the, their interest returns. I have to, it's funny you say that because I have to remember to do that more often. Cause like I actually did that with a guy was doing my hair the other day. Because I was just like, because once again, he's like, well, what do you do? And so I talked about that and that number, <laughs> that number has a way, has a magical way of like making people more interested. I mean, it turned out he was really into anime and stuff. So I was like, oh yeah, you would love this app. You should check it out. Because like I said previously, like my approach is more, I just want to get people onto the app. If they get, if that comes around to them, like enjoying my stuff, great. I'm more about like I'm kind of of this mentality. Just having more people aware of it will ultimately be good for me because it'll be good for everybody. Right? The distribution platform. Because I can't yeah. make somebody like my stuff. Right. right? But, but if I they're can, on that, if they're on that platform and they don't like Trailer Park Warlock, they might like the next thing you do. If you, the next thing you do is on web. Yeah, TV. they might see my name, you know, or and they'll be like, oh, that's that artist that actually introduced me to this, you know, a long time ago. And like, what's what is he up to? Yeah, you know, uh, it's a part of making people aware of me, right? And then they can associate it with the app overall, which I think is net positive in my favor long term. But the success aspect of it, because let's say, you know, I don't know what you would define as success, because I I think we all have different definitions of it. And I'm sure in your mind, 100,000 is not success. It's just like a milestone that you hit. But I'm curious. I'm curious. Yeah. See, to me, 100,000, I would sit back and, and open the tequila. That to me is success right there. That's like, hey, I got something that hit. I'm curious to know from you, what do you think it is about success? that suddenly changes the course of direction for rejection. Because I have the theory that yeah. if I make haunted and it's, let's say hypothetically, knock on wood, haunted is a success, right? Suddenly I'm going to have studios and people coming to me and saying, Hey, would you make this movie? Hey, would you look at this script? Da, 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 da. Then 
those could have been film festivals or producers that I sent stuff to in the past. And they were just like, no, go away, go away. I don't even yeah. want to bother with it's, you. It's the same messed up catch 22 of like entry level positions that require you to have three to five years of experience to get at. And it's like, it's this weird idea where, uh, you know, people won't be attracted to you unless you show some sort of like, I'm the it guy. Right. Yeah. And, that's really unfortunate to me because like, and this is my attitude towards things. I'm interested in good things. I don't care from where the person came, the artist came from. I don't really, the fame aspect of it, particularly the fame aspect of it is extremely irrelevant to me. I could give less of a fuck whether or not this person's famous. I want to know whether or not they're good at what they do. And I, to me, that's a self-evident thing. There's mm -hmm. no amount of people who can tell me, Oh, this person's so, you know, like this director's amazing. This person's, I have to actually see it for myself. But a lot of people want that numeric qualifier, right? Uh, you know, like saying, like, oh, I have 100,000 subscribers becomes this numeric qualifier suddenly where somebody in their head begins to imagine, oh, wow, there's 100,000 people who read this person's comic. That must mean it's something. Or it, like, yeah, it's worth my time because right. other people have found it worthwhile. Right. Um, I'm curious to know. I want to I read off a couple of things to you, movies, okay? And I want to ask if you have seen them or are even aware of them. The Last Gun. No, I, I'm not aware of it. Fighter Squad. Not aware of it. Escape to Nowhere. That sounds familiar, but no, I'm not aware of it. Firelight. No, no, not aware of it. Um, there a an episode of a TV series called Marcus Welby, MD, The Devil Gesture. No, not aware of it. The name of the game TV series. Not aware of it. The psychiatrist, uh, from 1971. Not aware of it. Owen Marshall, Counselor at Law. It's a TV series. Not aware of it. Uh, a TV movie called Something Evil. No, not aware of it. TV movie called Savage. Nope, not aware of it. All right. Uh, a theatrical movie called 1941. Uh, I think I've Oh, is this Steven Spielberg? Yes, it is. Yeah, I've actually seen that movie. It's not very good. Okay. <laughs> these, are, these are all... Steven Spielberg yeah, things yeah, yeah. and those are all things that he made before right. Jaws before Jaws Close yeah. Encounters some, and Indiana Jones that's actually a really interesting that in itself is its own interesting point because it's like basically Steven Spielberg did how much stuff did he do before he actually got some hits right right but here's the thing we're talking about Jaws okay so I'm I'm guessing you probably heard of uh Sugarland Express. I haven't actually. No. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Right. Yep. Jaws. Indiana Jones. E.T. Twilight Zone the movie. Uh, Indiana Jones 2. Didn't he also do that movie about like the 18-wheeler? Like what was it? Like Maximum Overdrive or something? Duel. Duel. That's what it was. Duel is a fantastic movie. I owe that. I own that movie on uh, Blu-ray. As a matter of fact, I might end up watching that tonight. It's a very good June kickoff movie. Cool. Um... But you got all these movies, Twilight Zone the movie, uh, Temple of Doom, yeah. 
Amazing Stories TV show, The Color Purple, uh, Empire of the Sun, yeah. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? Yep. Now, at, right after Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, have you heard of Steven Spielberg, a movie called Always? No. How about The Visionary? No. I haven't either. And these are movies that came out right after Indiana Jones, Empire of the Sun, Color Purple, uh, Temple of Dune, E.T., uh, 1941, Jaws. All, like, it's after those. Yeah. Never even heard of these movies. And then he picks back up with Hook, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Lost World, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan. 90s were good to him. Yes. <laughs> then there was one called The Unfinished Journey. Never heard of it. I never heard of it. Then we jump back to AI, Artificial Intelligence, yeah. Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, War of the Worlds, Munich, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Right. Then we go backwards again. A Timeless Call, a documentary short. Never heard nope. of it. The Adventures of Tintin. I feel like I've heard of it, but yeah, I don't. That movie's not very good. Okay. <laughs> War Horse, I'm aware of. Lincoln, Bridge yeah. of Spies, The BFG, The Post, Ready Player One, uh, West Side Story. So it's just interesting to me that in the midst of this, and this is the lesson I'm trying to impart on our listeners, is before he was Steven Spielberg, right? Before Duel, yeah. there were so many of his things that nobody had ever heard of. Yeah. Audience, you could say theoretically that audiences rejected them. And then even after he's stringing up hit after hit after hit, he might take a tank a couple things that nobody has oh, ever yeah. heard of. And it's like the audience rejected him or a studio rejected him and he didn't get distribution for out, it. I found out the other day that like in the 90s, uh, between like basically David Bowie did a stint. I think he's did a stint in Berlin, Germany, just like making some experimental albums. And then he made some hits. And then in the nineties, he did like this pre grunge band called Tin machine. Mm. Never fucking heard of it. Like, uh, this is the first time I'd even heard about this, this band that he had formed in like, apparently his audience hated it. And then he went back to like doing greatest hits type stuff. Right. Yeah. And that happens all the time. I feel like it's, I imagine for Bowie, he wanted to do that to actually get away from the pressure of like making the next big hit. Like I'm just going to make some trash for a little bit. Like, yeah, I think that there's some, there has to be some aspect of like, liberation that comes from you know what i'm just gonna make some trash for a second and like step away from like the pressure of being like uh you know the it guy so i want to talk about why i pitched this as a topic to you the other day i was browsing the youtubes and i came across i think i i don't know what it was i've been watching some i think it was because i had been watching some of the obi-wan kenobi trailer stuff mm-hmm that Star Wars started finding its way into the suggested algorithm for yeah. me for YouTube. Yeah. And the 2013, 14, whatever it was, uh, interview with Charlie Rose interviewing Steve, uh, not Steven Spielberg, uh, George Lucas. Yeah. Uh, after he sold Star Wars. And I'm watching this interview. It's like an hour, hour and a half. And George Lucas talks about how he makes movies for himself now that no one will ever see. Because I kind of love that. <laughs> because he was so, 
he was re- he felt rejected by the audience yeah. and he felt rejected by the studios after the prequels came out that he had to like make red tails you know independently and even then yeah. it had, had a hard time finding um an audience and so i think we can agree there is a there is a level of nostalgia that it's blinding the current mainstream talking about the prequels because while i do feel like they got an unfair shake um when they came out when we were in college at the same time they are still not as good as what a lot of people are claiming them to be right now like they're kind of middle of the road yeah um the point being though george lucas seems as a very egotistical person where he would not listen to the rejection and pivot you know what i'm saying so it's like one of those dangerous things where it's i think it's the biggest challenge even were even bigger than like writer's block or anything you know what i mean like funding or anything that you can come at is that that understanding of your audience and why they're reacting the way they are whether it's in favor or in rejection of your work whether the audience is you know investors or studio or distribution or just the audience in general yeah as an artist you really got to know how to read the entire room right like cuz that's that's the key to overcoming rejection is not taking it personally, but understanding the audience, right? Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that really what rejection is all about? It's, it's a miscommunication between the artist and the audience or the intended audience. I should say, I don't want to say general audiences, but like yeah. I, I keep saying audiences, but I mean like whoever it is, like an investor or uh distribution or whatever. It, it also may be. depends on how important that relationship is between you and that audience. Right. Like, I guess on a certain level, it's very important because it's money. Right. Yeah. Like that's what George well, Lucas can make his own films now because he has boatloads of cash to do. And that's it. literally what he said is like he's like yeah. I don't want to make theatrical movies. I want to make tone poems. I don't know exactly exactly what he means I by that. I would love to see what that is. He I think it's a lot more like THX or um uh, I, American I, Graffiti where it's yeah. just like a very, you know, visual I, I actually really like that version of George Lucas. I think that's actually kind of stuff that I would enjoy seeing a little bit more of, you know, in, in film and like, I, I get it. Right. Like I get having that mood. I don't really understand why you wouldn't want to at least distribute it other than he just didn't like the, I guess the fact that he was sort of low key canceled in a sense. Well, and not canceled for any particularly good reason, just because people didn't fucking like his movies, right? And yeah, they didn't match up to the expectations that the audience had for the new yeah. Star Wars that he made. But I'm curious, and this is just asking your opinion, do you think he got too sensitive to the rejection because he had oh, so yeah. much prior success? Yeah. Star yeah. Wars and Indiana Jones, man. Dude, like you. <laughs> here's what's so fucking nuts, is like people didn't like his films, and he still made boatloads of cash from them. Like, he was still in the green on all those movies, and people hated him. Like, how much did they really hate those movies then? You know what I mean? Like, if you're able to make the artists that successful, even when they're not doing what you think is a good job, like, where's the problem? I'd love to be able to make total garbage and be rich. Like, there's not a problem with that in my mind, because the problem becomes when... I don't like, is there actually, I don't know. Like there's not really, a, it's like, what if Neil Breen, right? And those movies are not bad on the level that Neil Breen movies are bad. 
Like they're totally understandable narratives. Yeah. Like the editing's good, the special effects are good. They're just not like they're just not exactly what audiences want it. And on a certain level, I kind of put that on the audience. You know what I mean? Cuz like yeah. What would have actually met your expectations? And that's, and I think that's a big key because like when I talk about haunted, like I was in at one point almost 10 years ago now, Jesus. Um, I was in like a lot of horror groups on Facebook mm-hmm. and I was trying to kind of crowdsource funding for haunted and I was like pitching it or whatever. And if you know anything about me, I like horror movies. I don't like, gory horror movies like to me that's not necessarily horror it just it it's uncomfortable i don't like watching it it just physically upsets me and i guess you could call that horror but there are people who drool and salivate for gore like they just want to see your skull get ripped open from the top of your jaw back down your spine spine ripped out through your back and they want to see stuff like that like very effects heavy stuff haunted is not that it is not that in the slightest bit so what I ran into was a lot of gore hounds who wanted that. And when they read my pitch and I was like talking about it and showing like, uh, you know, concept art or whatever it may be, they were like, oh, you know, how much blood are you going to get? And I'm like, there probably won't be very much blood in this movie. Yeah. What the fuck, man? You got to have blood. Like, and that was kind of a, a, an eye opener for me because I was being rejected. Right. I was getting all yeah. these fucking awards for screenwriting this script. Yeah. And then I was getting rejected by people in the audience and I was like, why the, f- I guess they don't get it. And yeah. the truth was it not, wasn't that they didn't get it. They didn't want it. And I had to understand that there are certain types of people that want certain yeah. things. And that's important. Sure. That's where marketing comes in. Yeah. Like presenting correctly and managing expectations plays sure. a big part in rejection or acceptance that's the thing is like going back to george lucas it's almost like his initial success set him up for the the later quote-unquote failure if you want to call that failure it's a very very interesting definition of failure in my mind you know what i mean where you successfully release all your movies make money off of them even though the audience is upset with you and then sell your license for like billions of dollars like that is a very curious definition of failure. I am just saying right here, look, George Lucas, if you want to release your tone poems to the movie theaters, I'm going to show up. I'm going to see them. I want to support fucking independent artists. Like, I don't care the fact that you sold out like Star Wars for billions of dollars so you could do this. That's awesome. I'm jealous. I wish I could have billions of dollars to make fucking tone poems to like make people hate because I don't give a fuck about whether or not you hate the work. I'm interested in making the work. And I think that that's, I think, I mean, I think that's ultimately the attitude artists need to have. I think that in reality, when you get down to it, like you're going to die one day in, (laughs) in all, like all of us are going to (laughs) die. I'm just remembering uh, some things, but anyway, um, (laughs) okay. uh, Sorry. I got kind of off track, but you're going to die one day and like you need you need to make shit like if you're an artist you need to make shit you don't need to get hung up about whether or not somebody's going to like your work because they might love it right now and they may hate it 100 years from now or vice versa 
it yeah so it's all irrelevant it's all like whether or not people like what you're making is irrelevant what is relevant is are you improving as an artist like and you can get feedback about that from an audience right but you have to be the person to determine whether or not you're improving ultimately you're the per like you're the person who has to have a self-evident uh approval process in which you look at something and say yes this is better than something i've done previously i've had a lot of conversations with art other artists who cannot figure out whether or not they're improving and it drives me nuts like you're the one who's making it if you cannot figure that out hmm. nobody else is going to help you like nobody else like if you're looking for some rando to show up and you know have their you know type out their comment or whatever that's going to be like this changed my life blah 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 that might that hit, hit of dopamine will feel good that week but it's going to be gone oh yeah it it's all it, it is ultimately if that is your way of approaching whether or not you're a good artist you're just a drug addict that's it like you're just a drug addict like you're addicted to your own dopamine release and you're going to run out of that drug eventually. You need to get addicted to the feeling of, I fucking made something, and I want to make something else. The process. Yeah. The process is really ultimately all that fucking matters. And it's it's something that, for me, has been... I, I've been um, thinking about and like getting sort of hooked on more and more as, I'm, as I go on, because people, people want to be artists less for the adulation and more, well, I mean, there are people who do it for the adulation, but like, and more because the process itself is what brings them in. And for me, the process is what brings me in. If I stop liking the process, I'm done, I'm out. Like, there's no other reason to do it. Yeah. I'll and go fucking- you, you summed it up so perfectly that I don't even feel like I can comment any further, but it is like a drug. The yeah. the the fame, the likes, the money, the whatever the, whatever the attention, um, and that to me is something that I have struggled with because I do get addicted to that. And it's just like a drug. You're absolutely right. And yeah. it's that social media drug that everybody's on. But instead of it just being, you know, oh, do I look sexy in my swimsuit or whatever? My my thing is always and I say this as the guy who posted orange spaghetti tonight. Like I like creating that food. I like tasting things. But then I yeah. also like posting it and seeing how it resonates with people. Granted. I enjoyed making orange spaghetti this afternoon. I enjoyed eating orange spaghetti tonight. Yeah. And the, I don't think I was checking my phone before we went on. I don't think it got a whole lot of likes. I don't think a lot of people were like, oh, that's really weird and interesting and fun. That's not going to discourage me from cooking it again. You right. know what I mean? Like, no, that, that's, that's like ultimately the dopamine is the icing on top of the cake. Hmm. But you need to make a fucking cake first and stop like sticking your spoon into the the buttercream frosting cake. <laughs> like that's disgusting. Yeah. Like, stop it. like that's it's not my disgusting. Attitude, it's delicious. But um <laughs> <laughs> But no, you're absolutely right. Cause I remember when digits came out, I got an email from a guy and he said he was going through a thing with his family or whatever, and that for two hours we distracted him from it. And we he was so grateful he sent me this big email. And like that made my that made my that was what healed my rejection from all the film festivals, believe it or not, was yeah. that one validation that that one guy liked it. Never mind the standing ovation at the movie theater and everybody happy and said, oh wow, you actually made a movie. I didn't know you could do that. Like all that kind of shit. Yeah, that boosted my ego. But that one comment from that guy was like, 
that's what kind of he that was a band-aid that was antiseptic that went over the wound that came from those rejections and so i do think that some on some point some of that validation is necessary because i watch digits now sparingly and i will watch it and go this is actually a good movie and it's interesting to me that i say that to myself like that i say this is actually a good movie yeah like it surprised me that i did it and then I think about it and I don't talk to anybody that was in that fucking movie anymore. Literally no one. I think buddy is the only person and he has a cameo for like two seconds. No one else in that film. Do I ever talk to anymore? And for reasons that are usually pretty bad, like I, I like I, I pretty much burned every bridge with all those actors and the crew and all that stuff. But I still look back on that and think, man, that was one of the best times in my life. I love being on set. I love the process of making it. I remember working on that script. I remember editing the movie and getting excited, watching it come together like that high. Those those highs in retrospect were better than the highs of the standing ovation and selling out the Blu-rays and you know what I mean? Like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that stuff was fleeting, but I don't look back on those emotions. I can't even feel the feelings that I got when I sold out the theater. Like, I don't remember what that feeling was, but I remember being on set and going, this is fucking great. Look at, they got the shot. Oh, they said it just the way I want. Like that high was so good. Yeah. That was the, that was the good dopamine. Yeah. And I think as an artist, like to me as an artist, I want to be in a place where years from now, somebody brings up something that I worked on and Mm. I'm like, Oh, I forgot. I even made that. Because that's that's when I know that I'm in a place where I'm like, I am on all cylinders because I've pumped out other stuff, right? Yeah. I've done things that are like that have pushed me on a frontier level or pushed me on on, you know, achieving things that I wanted to achieve that I hadn't pre- done previously, where I'm just like not like I would like ten years from now to be in a place where like trailer park warlock something kind of ancillary to the things that I've made. You wow. know what I mean? Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, yeah, Trailer Park World. That was a really fun project. That was meaningful to me at the time for many different reasons. But now I've moved on to, like, all these other things, right? Yeah. Like, and I think maybe, you know, going back to George Lucas, that might be kind of part of the problem. What happened with him is he got so invested into one idea mm. that it became this huge defeat for him that this one idea was not was no longer being appreciated by everybody. Um, which, like I said, I hope he makes his tone poems because I think that'll actually be pretty healing for him because he can be like, oh, you know what? Like, I'm a better artist than this. I do want to, I, w- I wish I could get in front of him and ask him, you know, do you feel fulfilled as an artist making tone poems, yeah. but not having anybody see them? Like, I, I during the interview, he says that he shows them to... Steven Spielberg and Francis Ford Coppola and Nick Coppola does the same thing too. Coppola makes movies and doesn't, doesn't show them to anybody like these fucking great directors of an entire generation are making movies and withholding them from us. And it's not even like they're like, Oh, I'm working on this project, describe the project and then say, Oh, but you're never going to see it. They're not even teasing us. Yeah. You know know what I mean? You know what that process is? That process is like when I was a kid making comics and the only people who saw them were people in my direct social circle. Like my best friend would read them. And like maybe my mom and my dad would rifle through them. Is that so like healthy? That's... 
As an artist, not even as a person, um, but as an artist, is that really healthy though? Think about it. Like we talked I about exercising as out. an artist. I think I don't certain, know if that's healthy. I think it's potentially healthy as a child because it puts you in a place where you're not concerned about the adul- adulation stuff. You just want to make sure that you're not alone, right? In yeah. acknowledging its, its existence. Um, now, when you're like, you know, a multi-million dollar director professional, it seems a little bit amateurish to me. It seems like an amateurish attitude mm. because I think, like I said, you're, there are people like me who would love to see what you've been working on, whether or not it's good. I don't really care. I've, you've already done, you've already done the work previously to get my attention anyway. Right. And I'm the kind of person who will like, I'm interested in David Bowie's bad albums as well as his good albums. Right. Because I'm interested in the artist as a whole, as a whole, as a whole person. Yeah. And I think to just, I think if you just, for me, it's like just cherry picking an artist on, on only their good moments is doing them a disservice to a certain extent and doing a disservice to your image of them in your mind, because you're not, you're ignoring and rejecting like the whole process of being an artist, which is sometimes you make shit. Sometimes Mm. you just make a bad title. Sometimes you make a bad song. Sometimes it's just like, you don't, that that movie just didn't work out the way you want it to work out. Like I remember, I remember the adventures of 1010 because it was touted as this big state of the art motion capture 3d movie. Yeah. And a lot of, uh, a lot of marketing promotional pressure was put on it. And I went with me and my friend went to go see it and we both had high expectations for it because like the 1010 comics, um, are in a lot of ways, they're not particularly good, to read but they're formational in regards to sequential art and have inspired a lot of comic book artists so we're like okay let's see what happens and we were both watching it It was just like sound and sound and fury resulting in nothing like nothing was really happened in that fucking movie like it was just kind of dumb yeah i'm looking at the trailer right now (laughs) i could kind of tell that's where it went (laughs) but like steven spielberg wanted to make that project another one like that in my opinion, is uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, Hugo. Not mm. a very good movie. I kind of I get the point of the movie. I get where Scorsese was going with it, but it just wasn't a very interesting movie to me. Like it just. Uh, but I, at the same time, I look at it like, oh, this is unique and different for Scorsese, and this is in a lot of ways like him sincerely talking about feelings regarding filmmaking. It's just not. It's just not good. Like, I just didn't like it, but that's okay. Uh, and that's really weird that we're talking about Tintin because I'm looking at Spielberg's filmography. He's a producer on, and I quote, untitled third Tintin film. I didn't know there was a second. Yeah, I didn't know there was a second either. And apparently Andy Serkis is involved in the third. Maybe this is like Avatar where it's like they just have the bunch lined up. Because <laughs> there's like supposed to be eight Avatar movies that they've already lined up and we've barely even gotten to the second one. We might see the second one happen. I'm scrolling. Yeah. Well, I saw a trailer for the next. I know. I saw the trailer too. 
I don't know. I'm not. I don't know if I'm going to see the movie. To be honest with you, I've never seen the first Avatar movie. I think, and that's like the highest grossing movie of all fucking time. Yeah, and I, I might be the one and only person who has not bought a ticket to go I see it. I kind of want you to watch Avatar, and we need to have a discussion about because I feel like Avatar is one of those movies where so many people love it, and I watched it, and I was like, "What is this stupid shit?" Like, <laughs> well, I'll watch. I'll make you a deal. If you make your way through the first season of Atlanta, I will I sit a, down and watch, watch Avatar. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a square deal because yeah. a, fucking Atlanta is great. And I don't know about Avatar, but we could do a whole episode on the A's. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I'm telling you, Atlanta is going to be one of your favorite yeah. shows as soon as you've seen Sweet. it. Um, so I guess we've really come down to the end of the, the episode. I think you summed it up before perfectly about the, the drug addiction and the real dopamine is the process and loving the creation aspect of stuff and yeah. not the releasing or the reception of it. Um, and I, I would encourage a lot of artists to try to wrap your head. I know it's hard when you hear two schmucks on the internet saying, oh, you shouldn't care about how it's received. It's really hard to let go of that feeling. And the only advice that I can give to the people listening right now is you have to kind of callous yourself. And this is about thick skin and stuff like that. You have to kind of callous yourself to that rejection. So it's the idea of you have to be open to that rejection and allow it to happen. And don't let yourself be defeated by it. Like, yeah, it's okay to take a day off or two to kind of recover. Cause yeah, that's a gut punch. Sometimes when you're really doing it, managing your own expectations about the results is another good way to kind of soften the blow of rejection. Um, but not so much to the point where you're down talking yourself or your project. That's also going to be detrimental in the long run. It's not, it's not worth taking it out on yourself and your mental health to prepare yourself for rejection because It only makes it worse to go, well, I was right. It was awful. And I wasted time. Don't do that to yourself. It's really, it's really not going to help anything. It's not going to help you find a new path. It's not going to help you do better in art. It's not going to help anybody get excited about your project. Just don't even try that. Yeah. I I feel like if you want to be a, a great artist, you have to be both numb to rejection and adulation. You have to be, Hmm. you have to be numb to both of those things because neither are going to make you neither rejection will make you greater as an artist because you can, you can look at what you're doing right and doing wrong to a certain extent. Yeah. And the same with adulation, but you really have to disregard the emotional aspects of them. The emotional aspects of them are really trivial in the long term. And if you want to be a, a lifelong artist, you have to regard it in from a long-term perspective. And you have to regard it from the perspective of when I'm dead, how will people look at this? And that's an emotionless sort of perspective in my mind. That's and I a, think that's a great way. That's a great way to end our discussion, but we're not ending the episode here because I have to ask your thoughts on something. I know you saw this. <laughs> How bad would you feel? How rejected would you feel if you had painted something that was like the most world renowned, greatest painting ever and some dipshit smeared cake on it? (laughs) I mean, it depends on like if, if I were alive at the time, I'd be fucking annoyed and pissed off. Although if I made a lot of money on it, I probably wouldn't care. But like, (laughs) If I was like, you know, oh, 500 years from now when I'm dead, somebody's going to do that. I'd be like, that's a pretty good track record. Not bad. 
<laughs> That's, That's still bad. relevant 500 years later. Yeah. I'm relevant uh, enough that somebody would want to smear cake on my painting? Wow. That would, yeah. And that, yeah, that means I was, uh, I made an impact and someone tried to stand on my shoulders for their own for cause. For context, uh, we're talking about uh, the Mona Lisa um, got cake smeared on it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I honestly, like, Leonardo da Vinci probably didn't even have a conception of himself as that kind of an artist at the time. Did they even have cake at the time? I don't even know if that was a food (laughs) at that point. Because at that time, uh, you know, he was one of hundreds of artists who were that talented. Because that's how much talent was running around, uh, not just in Italy, but all across Europe. He was one of literally hundreds of artists at the time. And so, you know, if he were alive today and he saw that, he'd be like, oh, really? That wasn't even my best painting. Like, that was kind of a shitty painting where I was trying to draw, I was trying to draw myself cross-dressing. Like, I just messed it was, around. Like, it, did, it did only get famous, though, because it got stolen, right? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason why it got actually that famous. And well, then there was like a mystique about it. There's mystique about it also in regards to how people who look at it feel like uh, Mona Lisa like traces people who are walking by with her eyes. Ah, okay. It's like some kind of illusion that that Da Vinci was able to pull off with the with the painting. Um, you know, that's that's the that's like any kind of branding. It's just like that's been around for a while. And like I said, I don't think Da Vinci really thought about it that much. You know, when he made it. Well, I know he didn't think about cake getting smeared on it because I just did the research and cake did not exist in yeah. Da Vinci's lifetime. Da Vinci was born in 1452. He died in 1519. And cake was invented in the 17th century, which was... <laughs> so that's another aspect of, it, of like, what is cake? <laughs> cake? Cake was invented in the 16 to 1700s. And Da Vinci lived in the 14 to 15. He just missed it. How did uh, so many people hear about this cake being smeared <laughs> on my painting? What's going on? <laughs> so he's in heaven right now going, the fuck is cake? Like <laughs> He's just like trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> he's some senile old man. Uh, but anyway, that'll wrap us up for this episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope we've helped you with uh, your rejection. Um, it's not the end of the world. That's the other thing, you know, just really, you got to pick yourself up. And and I don't, I don't want to gloss over that fact that I did say, take a day. Cause sometimes it's all right. Take a day, take a weekend, go to a theme park, go watch a movie or not a movie, go read a book, go sit in a park, go play with your dog or your kid or go on a date or, you know, whatever it is the fuck you want to do sleep. I don't give a shit. But the point of it is, you know, self-help, self, self-health is important and it's not, it's not healthy to just jump right back into your work and be like, I got to fix this. I got to fix this. That that's the wrong approach too. take a minute, live your life, enjoy life, remind yourself why you love this as rainwater was talking about the process and the art itself. Remind yourself why you love it. Like that's one of the things, watch your favorite movie, read your favorite comic book, read your favorite book, paint your favorite thing to paint and you know, go George Lucas on it. You don't have to show it to anybody. Just fucking do it. And to remind yourself that why you love it. And I think that's a good cure for the the drug addiction that is so damaging to so many artists and uh that would be my takeaway rainwater if you got anything to say say it now otherwise we're saying i've said it (laughs) 
All righty. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thank you.